0: Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, May 6th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out Modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host Crater.io there so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch such as Node.js to get it up and running in 55 seconds or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD in state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, Joshua. with my co-host,
1: Bobby Iyer. It's funny, I'm a co-host now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. First thing you said is the co-host, not guest co-host, but actual co-host. Looks like you got a haircut too, man. Yeah, I'm looking fresh, man. Yeah, I, had, I had to get a cut for this momentous day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just <kidding>. Nice.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, so... We didn't do an episode last week, really. Like, we did it on Tuesday, which was really the week before. So, it's been like... We did one episode over two weeks, really. Yeah. Kind of threw me off my game.
1: That was a good episode, though. It was. How was was the community feedback? Yeah,
0: good. I think a lot of people copied you on it, too, on Twitter. So, as far as what I've seen, people seem to have enjoyed it. I, I think there's some people that are maybe frustrated with choices meteors made. Like today, there was a lot of tweeting about the, all the demo sites being gone. Yeah. sites being gone. So
1: it happened. It happens.
0: We had a blast earlier this week too, man. I really loved uh, you and I and Ramsey got to talk to uh, Dan Abramoff, which was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. man. this has been a long week cause that feels like forever ago. Right. Yeah. And I had to wake up at six in the morning for that thing. Oh, it was terrible.
0: Yeah, so I always let the guests choose the time and Dan's over in like Paris or London or somewhere. Like he chose two PM his time, which was nine AM my time, which was fine. But then it was like six AM for you, so
1: Yeah. Oh well. Anything anything for the the guests, you know?
0: Yes. Um
1: but it was a great show. That one's going to be super fun for people to listen to.
0: Yeah. I'm We, excited. Got, we
1: got deep into it.
0: Yeah, we did. Not, not just Redux, but React, too. Like yeah. A lot of great so stuff. If yeah, if you're interested in that,
1: then you got to tune into that show, for sure. Yes,
0: definitely. So we just put one out this week. I hold on to them for... I do them every two weeks if I can. So one will be out I Guess in two weeks.
1: Nice. Yeah. Cool. What are we talking about today? Today...
0: It's all Meteor today. Like crazy. Oh, man. No, not a ton of React stuff, except for this one. Uh, Meteor is the perfect backend for React Native. Astronomy 2.0. Cool. Tuning Mongo for scalability with Meteor. We got an MDG post. Nice. Yeah. I was excited to see that one turn up. That was a good one. And a bridge for Meteor and Redux. I guess that's... It's kind of, and I thought, yeah, maybe we could sneak in some stuff. I, I <laughs> have a guy has been making all these Apollo examples in his spare time, so I thought maybe we talk <laughs> about that too.
1: Nice. Yeah. yeah, we should totally talk about all that.
0: Yes, definitely. Because we, we had some interesting conversations behind the scenes about all that. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So the first one is from uh, Spencer. I love Spencer. We'll do a shameless plug. It looks like he's going to be speaking at the next Crater Remote Conf. That's awesome. Yeah. He's going to be talking about React Native and Meteor. Shocking, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's mostly what we hear out of him. Uh, yeah. He's working on books. Seems like a good fit to me. Uh, and then the next conf is all about mobile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got some exciting talks lined up for that, but uh, this is this is a good one. Uh, so he makes a strong case for why you should use Meteor as your backend for React Native. I don't know. I, I like the article. Some of it's just, you know, kind of a paragraph summary, and it's got a link to some of his other articles. Yeah. It's, I think it's it's kind of like he's been building towards this post, and you can go read... Some of his other stuff, but for instance, like he talks about react natives fast to get started with. And so mm-hmm. is meteor. Yeah. And so they, they seem like a smart fit in that regard in particular, like the real time piece of it, the pub sub, like, I know you, you mentioned something about one of his articles and he's, you know, you were talking about methods and then like he responded yeah. with an article on medium saying like I advocate for using methods, but then he said, you know, when you do need something or like a reactive feature, which I think some apps don't don't need fully reactive features, right? Then you know, just make that feature built on PubSub and then use methods for the rest. So yeah,
1: those are good. But Spencer, I'm going to have to. Uh, I might I might have to like give you a was it a counter argument because one one thing that we didn't talk about here with React Native and Meteor is the tooling, and if you if you're going to use Meteor as your backend, you're buying into a lot more than just a server. You're you're buying into the build tool. You're buying into all the little quirks that any Meteor developer has to to like deal with.
0: Is that true, though? I mean, you could well, just use a DDP library and kind of punt on some of that, right? You could. You could. And just yeah. use the React Native tooling.
1: You could do that. You could do that, and that's well, see, that's something that we need. We need to educate people on doing because right now there is no best practice on what to do here, right? right? I would not know that I I could rely on something like some DDP library uh, effectively. You know, there's also a problem with these DDP libraries, right? The best one for native I felt was uh, Meteor iOS from Martins. Uh, library. Mm-hmm. That's because he built the abstractions similar to Mini Mongo and the whole Meteor data uh, interactions that a client developer would would usually have. But for example, like Android DDP, Android DDP for example does not have those types of uh, those types of goodies. So you end up writing more code to kind of invent the wheel yourself.
0: In reality, we're theoretically with one point four, we're going to get. DDP and tracker and all that kind of stuff. Mini Mongo like all yeah. into NPM right, and then yeah. you could really just pull that stuff in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think with one point four and the whole move, the Meteor core moving into NPM is is going to be is going to make this case a lot more convincing. React and Meteor combo probably is more strong when you get to pick and choose what tools you want. You want the best tools from this part of Meteor, and you want the best tools from the React Native part. Um, But right now, I I feel like you get you you don't get just the banana; you get the gorilla too. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't think that's how you say that phrase, but I I just said it that way. (laughs) That's my Uh, thought. I like it. I like it. But all of his points, they're all like positive points. I just wanted to question. And maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll tweet me and write another blog post, <laughs> and I encourage him to do so.
0: You know, I, I said we would talk a little bit about Apollo, but I think it makes sense to bring it up here too because sure. uh, you know the the Ben's last transmission episode, which I was I'll ding him a little bit. They should have said it was Ben's last show on that show, but you know,
1: yeah,
0: that was a bummer. Uh, <laughs> but. We love Ben, so you guys should know. Paul, I think Paul's taking over, so mm-hmm. it's not going to go away, um, but it won't be Ben anymore. They talked a lot about React Native and Apollo, you know, and James Baxley and the uh, Newspring guys are are working a lot on that. And yep. again, a shout out for them. They're going to talk about uh, going from Cordova to React Native at mm-hmm. the Crater Mobile Conf, so that'll be exciting.
1: That team um, is cool, those, those, that team is good. Yeah, they're
0: doing they're doing a lot of awesome work. But you know, what's gonna be faster, do you think? Waiting on one point four and all those libraries to get an NPM? Or just get started with Apollo now and build your React native app that way with you know the Redux integration. Yeah, I think yeah. the thing you're missing now would be real time and maybe mm-hmm. slightly better user accounts integration, but I think you can limp by with the user account stuff they have now.
1: Well it depends on how like what kind of risk you want to take because the project right now is like pre Mm -hmm. 1.0 and we're actually, we're bumping versions every day. I just made breaking changes like last week, uh, which we had to go update a lot of, a lot of people had to update their code because we've made a huge breaking change. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Sashko made a breaking change on Tuesday on how like uh, queries get parsed. Like, so all this stuff is happening really rapidly. And if you're feeling comfortable with that and want to get, get your app going, I will say Apollo is super nice for the toy app right now. If you're making a toy, something you want to play with on the weekend and have fun, uh, it's, it's, a, it's it's that kind of project to try out these concepts of uh, maybe a better client experience for your React Native app. But if you're trying to go to production with this thing right now, I don't know. The New Spring guys are like testing it out in the waters and like they're, they're like pretty much the huge production candidate right now that's running into the, the, the use cases they need. And, and granted they're contributing all that stuff back and it's over time it's gonna get a lot better. Yeah. But I, I would not invest the the time in a production application right now, like today. But that might well, be but next month or two months from now, you know? You Never gotta enough.
0: think, yeah, like development time, even part-time on the side, at best you're gonna it's gonna take you two months to really get something decent together. I mean, do you think Apollo is there in 2 months or do you like so my gut says we'll probably see 1.4 by July, maybe mid. I think
1: Apollo will hit maturity in like uh 6 more months. And especially like like Workpop's not using it yet, mm-hmm. but once it gets a little bit more mature, then I'm going to put it to the test. And then I would totally feel more comfortable like uh, you know, promoting it to people. Yeah, Uh, but right now like i've only used it to build really really trivial example apps Yes, now I need to go and build even more complex examples Yeah, once I even once I get deeper into that and I have more complex examples for the community Hell, yeah, use it
0: Yeah, I that that's what prompted our conversation as I was looking looking at the work you did over the weekend and i'm like looking at the like the shopping cart example and like you're Wiping out the shopping cart and making a fake one, and I'm like, "Where's the security here?" And you're like, "Well, I didn't do any." And so then I'm like, "Where's the docs on this?" And Sashko pointed us in the right place, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this this actually like this is further along than I thought it was." To be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think we're in a we're in this since we're in active development in Apollo right now. Mm -hmm. I think the I think these trivial examples were good in the beginning Mm -hmm. because I just wanted people to get comfortable with doing the motions. And, uh, and that's good. I think I've I've accomplished that. People know the motions of like what the different pieces are, maybe, um, and how they relate to the docs as they are today. But the com- yeah, exactly. There's security to figure out. Mm-hmm. Authentication is big. Like, oh, also there's ACL to worry about. How are we going to do access control on these queries? Um, right. How 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 are we going to have efficient queries? How are we going to have tooling and monitoring on all these things that are now. A proxy of your meteor application or any application yeah so there's a lot there's a lot to think about mm-hmm. so like it is a shiny new toy and I, I encourage people to use it but like for spencer who's building production level stuff maybe uh, i wouldn't tell him to do it neither yeah.
0: i mean that's that's what i was ultimately driving at like
1: yeah
0: where's it at and i i think you're right like to me i i don't i don't feel it's like i haven't written any graphql code yet but it feels like it's not quite there yet. I want to see a better, like, user accounts story for yeah. Apollo before I would probably jump in with a production-level kind of application that I care about. Yeah. But it is, you know, it's, it's super interesting to think about, like, you know, people are now querying. Like, you the the one I was referencing, you use Postgres for it and uh, SQLize, is that mm-hmm. it? I think yeah.
1: it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, using ORMs are... They're great, even with any database. So, yeah, like Mongo syntax—you're not really losing out on much.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is nice. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that's that's the strength here. James gave a great talk at Meteor Night that kind of, or Dev Night, or whatever it's called now, yeah. um, uh, he gave a great talk there that, that showed off the fact that they were, like, pulling data in from three different databases, like mm-hmm. uh, SQL Server, I think he said, and MySQL and Mongo, and kind of, like, joining it all together using
1: uh, Apollo and GraphQL.
0: Yeah. It was just seamless to the client. They just said, I need some data, and they got it.
1: Yeah, so... <laughs> I got really nerdy and I read the whole GraphQL spec and like, um, because you know, it's easier to work in Apollo if you know GraphQL, right? (laughs) If you're a mobile developer out there or even a front end developer, your life gets a lot easier with GraphQL Mm -hmm. because you dictate the terms essentially with the server. You want certain fields to look a certain way. You don't need to have a meeting about it. (laughs) You you don't have to waste some time about it. Just do it. And, uh, as, like, as long as you have, a, if you have confidence in that your GraphQL server does exactly what you tell it to do, then that's all you need to worry about as a client developer. You know? Yeah, like,
0: I, would, I would say that that's actually a really great point because I remember a, one of the more painful projects I did uh, in my development career was when I was at GoDaddy working on the Outright project, uh, which I, now is called GoDaddy Bookkeeping. But they had... Um, Backbone, which was making, you know, JSON kind of queries against the backend Ruby Mm -hmm. server. Then they had like a Titanium app, which Titanium was terrible. And we were switching to just be straight up iOS native app. I was in charge of the mobile team, but we did a project where we were trying to like consolidate all the different methods that they had for querying this data. Like an actual API people could could work with and like it was just it was really terrible because we had to work really closely with the front end team and with the the mobile team to make sure that we were building the API in a way that they needed. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Like GraphQL just says like we'll just put some data out and you tell us how you want it.
1: Yeah, it reduces friction. Yeah, and I I, I think more people who adopt GraphQL on uh, mobile devices are gonna have way better user experiences. Because right now what frustrates my mobile developers here are the lack of one Meteor's data system and they don't really, we don't really need reactivity as much. So mm-hmm. they struggle with like, why do I need to use DDP? I'm, I've been so more efficient uh, you know doing REST or whatever. yes But even here, like it, with GraphQL, it's like, who cares if I gave you REST, if I gave you a Meteor method, I gave you whatever, like who cares? You don't, you personally don't care. Yeah. Right, you're making the coolest app ever. You're making Tinder, and you want to swipe left and right. Like, who cares? Like, what happens? You know. Um, so, I think that's enables people to think like that. Yes. And that's
0: cool. yeah. I agree. I agree. All right, <laughs> totally hijacked uh, Spencer's thread here, but it was it was definitely like it's been on my mind. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about GraphQL. Had a lot of conversations about it this week.
1: Yeah, I mean Spencer. Spencer did his job. He made us think. Yeah. And uh, that's good. I like this article a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good article. And I I, I still think you're right. Like there, there's valid, there's, there's valid room here to be able to build a Meteor backend that, that React Natives tapping
1: into. hmm Cool. So on to the next thing. Uh, we're going to talk about astronomy 2.0. Now, if anyone doesn't know what astronomy is, astronomy is you would like if anyone knows what object relational mapping is orm it's pretty much like a way to like introduce this like i don't know in functional programming you make like utility methods right essentially you're you're actually putting like a schema on your data right your collections and you're also also putting like different utilities on how to uh, to enforce the schema and get values and save values like SQLize is an NPM module that wraps SQL, MySQL, and stuff is an ORM. What it allows you to do is define models and create methods and find, and that's how you can take an ugly SQL syntax and turn it into something like a mongo.find. It's, a, it's mapping certain functions to certain properties. So astronomy, sorry, that's a long-winded response, but if anyone didn't know, that's what it is. Astronomy mm-hmm. is, is the same thing, but for media applications. I really wanted to use astronomy, but like it just really sucks that the simple schema um Eric uh, came out with this or it sucks for what's his name joggy that uh, simple schemas Eric came out with simple schema first, you know because it just took so much you know in, in, in these like package wars like it's all about like you know it's all about first first movers and all that like man simple schema got just blew up right and uh, astronomy is like simple schema it's it's probably better than simple schema it has a little bit more you know you know there's like a lot more stuff you could do simple schema is very simple and basic and that's kind of why i like it but yeah, astronomy 2.0 came out and pretty much let's see like i was reading i was reading all well, the new the new stuff so pretty much in 2.0 it's if they've added not much actually, <laughs> but it's uh, it's just a nice nice little wrapper around uh, Mongo right now. When I look at these types of things, I always wonder like do people do people need all this functionality? Like when you're writing like server code, you want to be as like, atomic as possible. You don't want to like fetch from the server, mutate it in place, and then send it back because you know you that might be inconsistent. You, you don't want to lose data integrity. Mm -hmm. But with, with, with the astronomer, you can, you can actually do that. You can actually, you know, mutate these, these, uh, you know, your, your data and then it has a save method, things like that. And it actually makes more sense for the client because then you can have a little bit more direct relation with the mini Mongo side of things and like a form or an input field. Mm Um, so I don't know, personally, we don't use this in our app and it's because we wanted like just a basic, simple schema, um, approach and we thought that was we didn't want any bloat code that we weren't gonna use. Um but that's purely opinion of a team. Like uh anyone could use any of these like these little packages. But yeah, I wish I had more to say. I, I would recommend anyone from checking it out. Really it's just it's just an ORM. I think Yagi will kill me for just saying that, but I think it's just an O R M, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I you know, I think the room is here for it to exist for sure. Um yeah. Like, when I first came to the Meteor community, I felt like there was something missing here. and wrote a blog post about, like, where's Meteor's ORM? And uh, kicked off a conversation with a lot of people and got them interested in projects. Like, I didn't have the time to get involved with that kind of stuff. And then, like, uh, Yagi came out of nowhere with this. I I think it's interesting. I I was never a huge fan of... Not so much simple schema but auto form um
1: yeah auto form sucks Oops, it felt sorry. weird like, <laughs> <Sorry>. like
0: <laughs> the way you tie auto like auto form options into your simple schema just felt wrong like i don't really want to put uh view layer concerns in my schema yeah
1: weird that's a little too iso <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i don't know have you ever have you ever felt like that you needed this type of software in your in your apps like
0: I, I did early on, right? Like, I'm, yeah. I did miss it from Rails. Uh, but do you need then, it
1: now? Like, how does your workflow change if we use ORM so o- here's,
0: here's the thing that I'll say, right? I, I think that Apollo is a, a project of the future for Meteor, but I, I almost wonder, you know, where would we be if they would have embraced an ORM and it allowed them to have multiple backend options behind it? yeah. Uh, which they did, they did toy with the idea, you know, they did the Postgres project and that kind of thing, but you, nothing really came to, to full fruition as a supported long-term option. You look at active record and realize that it in rails land like that, you can swap that out from MySQL to a number of different options. Mm-hmm. As long as you conform to uh, active relations, then you can use active record and kind of back it by a number of different data stores. And, you know, maybe, maybe, Maybe we'd be looking at something different. I, I also think GraphQL solves interesting problems as well, so it's certainly an, a different way to approach it.
1: Definitely, I guess. Like, I guess I'm kind of really biased on GraphQL right now. Um, <laughs> looking at GraphQL and having a lot of understanding now, you know, Yagi is trying to solve the the, the problem of Meteor right now, mm-hmm. um, and he's doing a great job. But I, I wonder if this will ch- change. Like I, and I guarantee that people who are using the different data tools, you know, packages like this uh, are going to hard be hard to maintain. But I think he's he's just doing astronomy is like actually a general project, and he's using it for multiple places, right? I think uh, this is just Fort Meteor, right? So, so that's good. I mean. That's good. <laughs> Not much yeah. to say. I wish I could say more, though.
0: Again, I think if, if this conversation came up two years ago, I would have been all over this. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think now, especially in the face of, like... I, I mean, we'll see simple schema maintained, but, I mean, didn't, didn't Eric come out and say auto form wasn't going to be maintained anymore?
1: I, I definitely know... Look what at, yeah. I mean, the best way to look is commit history and issues. Yeah. And, yeah, because, you know, those really speak more. Yeah. To, I, yeah. I just... <laughs> I think,
0: honestly, like Blaze is is not going to be a thing forever. And even with community support, it's not where it needs to be. So, I mean, some of this stuff is just not going to be around. I'm still really curious to hear, and I wish they would have talked about it in Transmission, like, what's the future for DDP? I'm kind of getting the impression it's going to be like, you know, whatever the community thinks it should be at this
1: point. I have a different thought about uh, live data and how it's going to going to go i think live data actually will still be an option for for meteor apps and i think what they're going to do is actually give it more fine tuning so they can people can use live data in outside of meteor apps
0: fine tuning mongo what no
1: i mean like in like our next post is about (laughs) this exact topic yeah yes yes (laughs) good
0: segue good segue
1: Okay, let's go into the next topic because this is what I will carry on. You go first. Yes.
0: All right. Yeah. So, uh, Meteor Meteor. Whoo! Finally, uh, with the 1.3 release, added the ability to say <laughs> um, disable op- oplog true for queries on your find calls. Right. So, mm-hmm. when you're on the server, and you're doing your publications, you can say disable oplog, and it's going to not monitor that through the oplog anymore. So. I still think we're not a hundred percent there and everything that we need, but I think Mongo maybe has to change before the other side of it. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you still have to process those updates for Oplog true query. Right, yeah. And so if you have something that's like pushing a lot of writes into the database, you probably want to move that out to another database, which is a way to handle mm-hmm. it. and then just say disable off true yeah. on your query, and you're going to uh, fall back to a pull in diff, and it looks like and so I, I was actually digging through the commit history, and I think that this was in there and then got pulled and then got reworked and then got added back in, and that's why there wasn't a whole lot about it. Maybe yeah, yeah. in the initial launch, and
1: now we're hearing about it. One, three, two, four. Have you ever been in those situations where, like, someone who works at a company, like, writes code uh, for a certain thing, and they let's say they leave halfway through, okay, and then the next guy comes in, he tries to understand the code, or girl comes in, tries to understand the code, and they're like, oh, I don't understand any of this, so they pull it out, and then they write it again. But that's not what happened here. I just had a No,
0: no, no. Uh, this was actually from the looks of it, this was contributed by METAR from what I could tell. Some of this was contributed by outside community, which was
1: Yeah. Cool. And he always does a really good job of like Yeah. Yeah, exploring. but there was um, there yeah. was some
0: some kind of back end issue uh, with some other packages and it, it broke some other packages. So they had to like pull it, re-release, and yeah. then rework it and put it back out you have two different options, right? You can do the pull and diff, or you can do the op log. And the pull and diff is you as the server saying, hey, it's been 10 seconds, let me check again. Is there any new data? And the server, like the Mongo server will respond and say yes or no, and then you'll fetch that data and return it to the client, right? That's the pull and diff. Whereas with the op log, the server is just sitting there pretending like it's a rep piece of the replica set for Mongo, and it's, it's, just, it's getting uh, data fed to it as it's changing. And so your server is just sitting there watching this big change log rush by it and picking out the pieces of data it cares about and then updates the client. So the big difference is, for the most part, if you don't have a lot of writes, you're consuming less CPU the memory is probably not really any different one way or another. But the biggest thing is like, number one, like, have you ever asked someone like how real time do you need your data to be?
1: Yeah. And everyone says not that real time.
0: Right. Which is (laughs) funny. Right. Because like we're, for the most part, we have no way to say like, we don't care about this data being real time. Like that's still the missing option here, perhaps. In my conversations with clients, like they're tolerant to like, mm, 30, 60 seconds, something in that range. And so yeah. now you can, you can now tweak that as well. On the pull and diff side, there's some uh, levers you can use to kind of decide uh, when you're going to check for those updates and that kind of thing. So you, now you can set the pulling interval and the pulling throttle, which I think is also new. There was never a pulling throttle before. Yeah. Uh, which is to say, like, if we've seen an update within the last, I think it's 500 milliseconds by default, yeah. don't, don't bother to check for one for a little while. So that, that's kind of interesting too. So now we're starting to get to the point where they're tuning the pull and diff, Yeah, uh, which is where they could probably do a lot of work as well.
1: So like uh, the problem with live query, and this is a horror story, is we have this thing called, the gray, like at work we call this the great DDP flood of 2015 yep. and literally it was like we have this we have this notification center and what it does is it subscribes to user notifications pretty much what happens is if if you're getting a lot of notifications you're subscribing a lot your subscribers are just going up your cpu is going up because a lot of people are, this is actually a, a really high throughput subscription so the server has to ma- manage the op log for you know, thousands of people that are trying to, in every page, we had a bug where you're resubscribing every page. So it's just like the biggest we flood of DDP messages, like super just like uh, our, our CPU is just high. I think like it almost crashed one of our containers. But anyway, it's because if you don't manage live query, like people say they don't want reactivity. Well, if you don't want reactivity, then you have to manage that. Because if you don't control reactivity, you will screw yourself over, like, really bad. Your users will hate you. It'll take a long time to load pages. Also, if you're using Iron Router, oh, good luck. Good luck even rendering and having fun rendering pages. Like, the DDP flood is real, and you should be aware of that. Iron
0: yes, folder. absolutely. I, I actually think it's more than that, right? Like, it's, it's... I've had instances where I've had to parse out, like over a 1,000 records to get aggregate data on the page. And it turned out like that was actually really bad. I think it was 7,000 records. And uh, so what happened is we were getting reports because it was a a phone app, right? Um, Yeah. Cordova. And it would just, like, the page wouldn't load. And so I was trying to figure out why. And I ended up using the simulator and attaching the uh, console to it. And what I ended up seeing is the WebSocket would crash. When you push too much data through it, it would crash on the browser. And this was across Firefox, Chrome, and Safari that I saw this happen. Um, I, I actually think it's a problem in WebSocket itself it could only handle a couple megs of data and then it toppled over. And then what Meteor does is it thinks, Oh, well we got a fresh website. Let's go get data. And yeah. so like so that was, was s- the, the flood that we got on the server, right? Is because yeah. would load that page and then they would just, it would, look like it's loading it would say it's loading and then it would crash it and then it would cracked. load again
1: and yeah then, like, if you look at your if you look at your frames you're you're like you're creating new sockets mm-hmm. and you'll see a whole a list of them yep. and none of them and they're all and actually the only the first socket got the initial payload all these other sockets are ping-ponging so they're not even doing anything for you, right? right. They're trying to, they're trying to. No, because- they
0: weren't. Uh, so yeah. what I saw is like each new one that would be created would try to go fetch the data until it crashed again. Oh, okay. The ping pong would stop, right? Because that was a dead web socket at that yeah. point. But, you know, you're still like, you're essentially like distributed uh, denial of service attack on your own <laughs> server. Yeah. Because yeah. A couple clients would just be hammering the database at that point.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like, (laughs) for me, and this is my recommendation for people, uh, use Disable Oplog True. That should be your default setting, like, for, until you really need, I would start with Disable Oplog and enable it when you need it. That's how I would approach it. Mm. Uh, Because it's really hard to pick and choose, once you've enabled everything, it's hard to pick and choose what dependencies you have with real-time data. And like, I mean,
0: so the thing I would say there is like, that's a significant CPU difference. Like with Crater, I've seen like, you know, at 20 users, we were starting to spike out the CPU, 20, 30 users. And we're able to handle like 200 per server where, before we're even getting close to spiking the CPU. But again, most of that's going to depend on like what your write pattern looks like and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you have a write-intensive app, Meteor it's a little a little painful to scale it. Totally, so totally. But you know. you know, there's a there's a UI library that uh, that could help you like manage all this complexity. <laughs> I'm, just I'm trying the segue. I'm not good at them, man. I'm not as good as <laughs> Ben. Ben's so much better at the segues. Um, but oh no, do you want to segue? <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: So when you have a lot of data, like how do you how do you control that for the client?
1: Oh, okay. There's a segue. Yeah. Um, the next and last uh, article. I'm I'm new, guys. So it's all good. It. I'll get I'll get <laughs> a hang of all this stuff. I also have been very controversial today because I'm going to say some stuff about this next article too. So this next article is called "A Bridge Between Redux and Meteor" mm. by Gabriel Poca. I hope I said that right. He pretty much explains how. Application state today, or before Redux, and that's what we're talking about. Redux, it was done through collections, sessions, and reactive vars. And I've blogged about this before. And those are like the state management tools for the client, like the uh, you know session variables, which we know are evil. And if you use them, you should feel ashamed of it. You feel um, collections are always. I think the most powerful reactive dictionaries are very powerful and reactive vars. Um, all these all these guys wrap. Track the Tracker library, the Meteor Tracker library, to give you a little reactive, you know, Tracker-bound variables or mm-hmm. processes like Mini Mongo or Collections. Now, the problem with this and the problem with Tracker is how it invalidates itself. Any dependency chain in a Tracker function will rerun the whole function. So, once again, with this live query stuff, if you don't manage your Tracker computations, you will screw yourself over again. Let's say you could technically get yourself an infinite loop. If you update something, in yeah. The same function that you're reading it, and you get overflow. Like these things can happen, right? So, they can, they can. So if if you're not careful, yeah. but, And so converse to, to say in his thing, he's saying that Redux is actually a very predictable way of managing all this state, um, and because it comes with you know a bunch of tooling, you actually can feel more comfortable managing your state in the client. Um, and he actually what he does different than what I would do is he actually still uses mini, uh, not mini Mongo, but Mongo publications and subscriptions, and he actually auto-runs cursors, and when they change, they'll go dispatch some Redux action to to the store. So this is interesting. There's a guy named Lushi who's in the Meteor community, Slack, or Space Dojo Slack channel, and he actually, his implementation was to go into DDP itself and when DDP was pushing down objects from uh, the server, it was going to actually put them in a Redux store for you. Mm. Much, much, like, much like Apollo and what we do at Apollo when we take GraphQL data and put it into a Redux store for you, he had that implementation. Yeah. The problem with that implementation is no one really felt comfortable someone putting some stuff into DDP. Like no one felt comfortable with that, which I think that's why it didn't get a little bit bigger. You also Lucy, you probably should keep working on that Braille because you kind of dropped off. Calling you out, but if he kept working on that, that could have been a de facto solution for people trying to use uh, media data directly. Uh, what Gabriel is suggesting is actually just using Tracker in Tracker and you know publications to auto run them and just essentially like uh, connect like subscription data into your component, and that's cool. And I recommend anyone to try it. It's 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 really elegant the way he did it. Now. What I disagree with is I don't like that you're using Meteor data and it's Meteor data tools and kind of like using Tracker not a way it's supposed to be used kind of deal, right? Like if I'm going to do PubSub, I automatically am going to get a mini Mongo collection. I essentially am duplicating my data now. If I'm using mini Mongo for, let's say I do a messages.find, I have that data and I'm subscribed to it already in a, in a mini-mongo collection. There is no point to then put it in also in the store. And that's where I kind of struggle with these patterns because there's no one, no one is disabling mini-mongo here. They're just adding the store. You're adding another piece to your app, which I don't see as valuable. You're duplicating it. Now, on the, to, to say this again, if you use methods, you're not actually using mini-mongo. You're returning some response. What you can do is you can dump that into a Redux store and it's going to be reactive in the sense of it's reactive. Is, it's like a, it is like a mini Mongo cache as well. And I think if you're using Redux and Meteor, you should be using Meteor methods to fetch data until Apollo comes and works for you because then that integration is super clean. Um, you could do the Lushi way of using DDP directly, which I think is the cleanest way if you're going to do it. But there's no point in duplicating data on the client. like. I mean, it's free, I guess. You can do it if you want. Yeah. But,
0: like, yeah. I would, I would agree with you, like, hearing the comparison. Here's the thing. I haven't used Redux yet, and I'm, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I get the advantages of it. You know, I just, I haven't fully bought into it uh, because there's no, you're right, like, there's no great integration point between a Meteor backend and a Redux front-end, you know, there's, there's, different ideas you could try Exactly. no one's really figured it out and you know maybe 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 lushi's way would be good maybe uh graphql is is the answer and you, you move to apollo you know again that's that's gonna be a while right
1: it's gonna be a while yeah. yeah
0: so you know for me like what i've done so far with react is just kind of what you were talking about the different tracker kind of Component configurations that that are available out there, I think they're interesting, right? You build a container that's going to fetch your data for you, and then it passes it down the React tree as as props to the different components that you're putting on the page and building. I'm a fan, I think, still of Tracker React. Like I was confronted with figuring something out because the client was on a Git Meteor data mix in still. Yeah. Terrible. uh, And, uh, you know, like looking at it, it just, it, it encourages bad patterns. Like, you know, I, I have the benefit of hindsight and seeing what good patterns look like from people that came before me. And like the way this app was built was, was actually really bad. I think tracker react gets you as close as you can to being able to not tie all of it up into one method, which I think is what meteor, if you look at the guide is still encouraging, right? They, they've got their container version, uh, which is similar to tracker react and you're kind of dumping it all into one area. And then, you know, if anything changes in there, like you're talking about, you got to rerun that entire function again, which is, yeah, not really yeah. what you want. It feels like you're you're kind of not using React to its full potential. And so I think like Tracker Component and Tracker React both allow you to kind of get that slightly more granular layer. Those are the two that are interesting to me, and therefore like I'm using PubSub to get my server-side data in and then using one of those like Tracker React or something yeah, to kind of handle updating when that data shows up. And then also I'm able to use reactive VARs mm-hmm. uh, to do the kind of the client side. And stuff.
1: That, see, that is, that is, that is a probably a recommended approach for people who are building for live query systems, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for example, work pop, we started moving away from pub sub because we have, now we have new data needs. They're not always going to be in Mongo. Mm-hmm. So we have data in some, some microservices. So, also, from the UI standpoint, we do not want to deal with unexpected uh, re renders uh, that we would we would still see using tracker, uh, not tracker React, but the React Meteor data thing, um, <laughs> you know. And uh, at that point, what we did is we just we thought about the problem. We thought about well, you know, what do what what do we need to to what do we need to do in our workflow for our users to re- refresh data or mutate data. Like, what do we really need to do? Mm. And what we, th- what we thought was, well, essentially, we just need to get some data on the first load, and there are certain actions on the page that probably want to re- refresh. And once we define, like, okay, what actions cause refreshes, we only found out there was only like, two things on the page that would cause a refresh, right? Mm. As, and so then now we, like, isolated the problem. So if we ever run into the situations where users do these two actions, then we refresh the data, but then and then it's like a static site again, like we don't care, you know, you just chill on the page. You have the data you want. There's no live query. We don't really need you to update stuff, you know? And this is actually called the client request. It's like a client request pattern. And that's what Apollo is actually built like today. Uh, if you do mutations, the data that you're you're mapped to your component has a refetch property. And so you can do some mutation and then the callback, you can say refetch. Hmm. And, it's, and right now it's, it's not as magical as tracker but it's predictable and I think I would I would always uh, emphasis predictability over reactivity right uh, mm-hmm. you can always you can always fake reactivity you know you can always like fake it yeah you know? and it's true that's true as a programmer we're, we're magicians just make a freaking illusion and it'll still be as if you were using live query no one's gonna know right right uh, so that's the kind of approach that we've done and now that we see Apollo that is pretty much adopting that approach, but with GraphQL, and we're doing the same approach, essentially, with the Meteor method and DDP, it makes more sense to to do, you know, Apollo, right? Because uh, there's more options there. So, sorry for the ramble, but Gabriel had a great article. I just wanted to give my little point on uh, pretty much the data needs there.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's great. Like, there's a number of people that have heard about Redux, maybe don't even know what it is, and they're not sure, like, you know, you're looking around and trying to decide how you're going to do it, you know? Yeah. And everybody has a slightly different idea at this point because there's, there's no great one integration point from uh, Meteor itself, MDG, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're you're absolutely right, like, to the point of, you know, that, that problem I was talking about before where the WebSocket was crashing, Uh, it, It turned out, like, the client didn't even care. You know, we asked the client, like, would seeing updated data every three minutes be okay? And so we moved... From having thousands of aggregated records on the client to running an ag query every three minutes on the server and dumping it into a collection. Yeah. And we pulled from that collection, the client's like, Yeah, sure, let's <laughs> let's do five, you know? And I'm like, Woohoo, it's
1: even better for performance.
0: I would definitely agree, like it's it's always easy to go back later and, and fake yeah. out some of that data.
1: Yeah. That's why that's why I'm saying like disable oplog first and figure out when you need it. Mm-hmm. Figure out your reactive, because like reactive is not necessarily real time. So that's, people should understand the difference. Like reactive means that by doing, you're writing code in, in, like, declaratively, so things update like Excel. Real time means literally real time, like data is updating over the wire instantly. So you should define what your real time needs are, define what your reactive needs are. And if you, you know, don't need real-time, then don't even think about it. <laughs> I,
0: I almost feel like this this problem would be solved if we had a way to authenticate with DDP across microservices. And that maybe is that, cool. That's the missing piece, right? Because if, if you have something uh, that is write-intensive, you can move that off to its own microservice, that's true. Sounds great. Uh, but there's no way for you to say like, oh, hey, but I am a user over here on this microservice.
1: Mm-hmm. We're, we're lacking. That's lacking right now. Like, you yeah. Need to yeah. You need
0: something like the, the uh, JSON web tokens or something. We need right? jocks. Like, passport.
1: If anybody's looking for a good, like, you know, middle tier auth service that they, that's like not Meteor, uh, you can use this uh, microservice called Authentic. And Authentic is, you know, just what I said, it uses JSON web tokens, and it'll allow you to build, like, an actual authentication service that probably can plug into Meteor. I haven't done it yet, but you could. You can replace replace Meteor accounts.
0: (laughs) I'd almost be uh, much more of a fan of seeing someone, like, get Passport integration going with, like, Meteor accounts or something and using JSON Web tokens. That would be super interesting. Uh, Totally you know, that, that's one thing I did ask Sashko is like, you know, looking at how everything's working right now with Apollo, like, could we do it with Passport? And they're like, yeah, we actually already did. Um, We just need to get the examples up in the docs. And I'm like, that's, that's amazing. You know, like that's, that's a well supported project with lots of authentication options. And
1: yeah, totally. I would see the media community is going to become more microservice crazy Mm -hmm. because the, the opportunity is there and the ability to do so is there. And you're going to see things like accounts break out into microservices, and you could probably expect some some tutorials and you know little helper packages bootstrapping that for you because you know what's every app need <laughs> authentication and, you know like this, the 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 resume ID the resume token stuff like that's cool but. You know, I I think you got to go with the industry which they're Mm -hmm. moving towards these web tokens.
0: Yeah, JWT. Totally agree. That's the pain point. Like, I don't want to deal with that again. And I've liked not dealing with it a whole lot since I moved from Rails to to Meteor. Mm -hmm. You know, the account system is just there. And whenever they make an update to it, they care about my developer experience and try yeah. to make it backwards compatible as much as they can. Like that wasn't there in the Rails community. It was like, oh, use Restful Auth. Oh no, today we're using like this other standard that. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, I don't even remember the name of it now. Um, Jose Valim, the guy that created Elixir, created a, a popular option back in the day. And then you know, after I left, like they had ten different other ones that popped up and i don't know you know flavor of the week rails fatigue it's real
1: (laughs) rails fatigue yeah that was good that was good topics
0: yeah definitely and we got to interlace a lot of apollo talk as well so that was yeah
1: i think you guys will expect more apollo stuff
0: definitely so Cool. All right, Abby. Well, thank you for uh, this uh, inaugural episode, number one hundred and one.
1: Thanks. Sorry for being so controversial today. <laughs> not at all. I love, I love. I embrace controversy. Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> good. And um, all the authors, like, if I was controversial, like, it's not against your work or anything. It's yeah, no. Really, I think it's you know we. Encourage I don't want people to get the wrong idea, but yeah, I, I I appreciate all the work that you guys have done for the community with your contributions. But I do have my own opinions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll say it a different way. Like, we're never going to know what's right unless we figure out all the things that are wrong first. You know, yes, and uh, and that's not to say. some of these things. Like, someone else may come along and read it and be like, "Well, I just like tweak here, and, you know, yeah, it's totally. a great idea." And I don't know. Could be interesting. And that's not to say Abby's right either. Totally. So
1: yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I could <laughs> be, yeah, be wrong. The other <laughs> Oh yeah, Josh is always right. So. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Uh as always, big thanks to
0: uh Modulus and DigitalOcean for sponsoring the show. If you're interested in hosting services, definitely check those guys out, modulus.io and digitalocean.com. And Patreon P A T R E O N dot com slash Meteor Club if you want to get into the Slack room. I think I think we're hitting Slack fatigue, maybe. Uh, we're, we're getting to that point. Things are slowing down on the signups, uh, so I'm gonna th- I'm gonna try to think of some new rewards and exciting things that uh, can come out of this show and other shows. So,
1: yeah, being in the Slack chat is actually pretty valuable. You get to, to talk to a lot of media developers, people who are actually making applications and stuff. So, and everyone's like really willing to help you. I'm there. If, you care, if you care what I say, I can talk to you there too. So. <laughs> totally uh, totally so join dudes yeah and girls we need more girls too so yes know. yes definitely
0: yeah which i'm going to be putting up a crater code of conduct soon too that'll be interesting
1: yeah it's about that time and
0: yeah. it'll it'll apply to the space dojo slack room as well
1: yeah probably i'm probably going to get kicked out <laughs> probably <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh well
0: all right, guys, as always, Bye. tune in next week, and we will be talking more JavaScript news. See ya. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S P A-C-E-D-O-J-O.com.